Hey folks, and welcome to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Mishka Katkoff, and today I get to talk about one of my all-time favorite mobile games, which of course is Call of Duty Mobile. And who are the better guests to talk about this game with than Chris Plummer, who heads mobile at Activision, and Matt Lewis, who is VP of Product at Activision and is currently GM for Call of Duty Mobile. Uh, today's topics, what we're going to talk about is the development of Call of Duty Mobile from early concept to soft launch. We're going to talk about the soft launch and especially the uh, the first launch month when the game gathered 135 million installs. Uh, we're also going to talk about the turnaround that happened in 2021 after the, uh, the post-launch decline that the game endured for, throughout 2020. And we are going to talk about the future of Call of Duty Mobile, as well as the overall future of Activision Mobile. As always, appreciate all the feedback, so keep sending it our way. And without further ado, shout out to our fantastic sponsors, Facebook, Iron Source, and AppsFlyer. I think what's, what's become clearer, certainly in the last few years, as competition in the game industry has really stepped up, is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business. You know, you could be super lucky, you, your game is an instant hit, it's resonating with users, but for when that's not the case, uh, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level, that's where we come in. So we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base. That was Melissa Zeloff, VP of Marketing at IronSource. This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do, do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward slash DOF for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppsFlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppsFlyer's latest product, the incrementality solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppsFlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With, with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest you head out to appsflyers.com.
Chris Plummer, Head of Mobile at Activision. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. And Matt Lewis, VP of Mobile, heading Call of Duty Mobile. Welcome, Matt. Thank you. So I'll be just frank. I told this to Matt before. I've been, you know, Call of Duty Mobile was such a big game to me that it caused me to quit my job and start a startup making a shooter game. So it was just such a pivotal thing where I thought it just changed the, the way that I think about shooters on mobile. So that's why I'm extremely excited, as you can probably hear, to, to record this podcast and talk to you too. Let's start off with, with Call of Duty Mobile. It launched in September of 2019 and pretty much beat all the expectation, not only for the game, but just for the first person shooter genre on mobile as a whole. So can you guys talk about the development of the game, how you ended up working with Tencent Timmy Studio? Because I believe King was working on a Call of Duty game, even probably two of them before that, and you guys nailed it. Tell you a little bit about the kind of origin story here. Obviously getting Call of Duty onto mobile was something that Activision has been really interested in a long time. There was a lot of prototyping efforts going on across the whole enterprise to try and understand like how this could work. Could it work at all? And at the time, you know, I think this was first being thought through, the genre hadn't really taken off on mobile yet. So there was some kind of inherent risks to, you know, can you actually deliver something Call of Duty quality on mobile? And so, you know, a lot of things were converging around the same time. A lot of interest in our internal studios and inside Activision Publishing and then canvassing the world of like where the talent is that has experience doing this sort of thing. And, you know, Timmy had definitely had experience with the genre and success in the genre on mobile in China. And so we thought that that was extremely valuable. And when we're looking at all of our options, working out a co-development arrangement with them felt like the, the right solution for us and sort of harness the, you know, COD IQ and sort of the deep knowledge of the, the COD ecosystem and content from Activision paired up with their experience on mobile as our kind of way to kind of get you know, get a beachhead and really try and go in there with quality first. So that was some of the some of the origin, and you know, Matt can kind of chime in here with some of his insights as well. Was it was it easy to choose the uh, the developer for this? After all, this is like a marquee marquee title for Activision, and um, probably the expectations are pretty big. Yeah, I mean, it's never easy to decide how you're going to make a Call of Duty game. I mean, just the you know the expectations are always going to be super high. The investment's going to be huge. The amount of talent, content iteration so absolutely it was a difficult decision that said i mean i think we we feel very comfortable we made the right decision and ended up with a, a, an excellent game and it's evolved into a, a, just a world-class service that we're all super proud of and most importantly just glad at how the players are reacting to it yeah and the, and the actual development of the game there's really kind of four phases to it which is different than other games have been in in the past the original identity for the game was more asynchronous, somewhat pay-for-power elements. Because at the time, like Chris is saying, there weren't shooters that were successful. So we're trying to think of, well, how do, how do we find a way to have a large game that has the outcome that we want? We realized over time that just wasn't kind of true and core to the identity of the brand. So the second phase was this 5v5 real-time shooter with a strong regional focus. And we thought that, that was going to work for a while. And obviously 5v5 is, is the core of COD and you know is the core for COD Mobile for sure, but we just thought over time that that wasn't enough. So the kind of third phase for us, more modes, we added a BR that we think is right, a battle royale rather, that we think is kind of up to the COD standard and also something that players are really, are really wanting these days. And then also just expanded what was a pretty strong regional focus into a more global focus. So how can this work, not just for 
you know, a few specific markets, but really for players around the world. And then after we launched, that's kind of the, the new phase where our live service arm just took a, a kind of different evolution forward, both in the kind of, you know, amount of content that we can add and also the, the kind of quality and theming, wrapping and tuning. At the time, the you know, free-to-play was also a, a newer thing for, for Activision for a shooter space. And so, you know, I think the, the team did a, a pretty amazing job of evolving the Call of Duty kind of core meta into something that was truly fair and free-to-play. So we're, we never gate people from playing Call of Duty Mobile. They can always play and engage and just trying to offer stuff that is really cool cosmetic, expressive, to help you sort of engage more deeply and, 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 and sort of be part of that world in a deeper way if you choose, but we're never forcing it. And so I think that was another piece of, of, of kind of pulling all of that together into a final product strategy. And ultimately, I just took a ton of collaboration. I mean, you know, our the, the best minds at Activision combined with uh, Timmy and just tons of trips to China. I mean, the team was over there every eight weeks or so and just working through exactly, you know, how to pull this off and, you know, what's the, you know, how's the progression going to work? How's, you know, the the gameplay going to feel? How do we get that COD kind of feel into the moment-to-moment gameplay? It was something just took a a lot of iteration and a lot of effort from, from all the parties involved. How was the development? How is it working with the time difference and especially... What was the divide between between the teams? Yeah, well, the, you can think of the the division sort of leaning into the different strengths, right? The Call of Duty teams at Activision were really focused a lot on how to get that core Call of Duty feel, how to get the production values, that kind of exhilarating experience across on mobile in a way that kind of felt up to the brand. And so, you know, a lot of the energy was focused on that. Whereas, you know, Timmy is focused a ton on like how to actually, you know, optimize the experience for, you know, performance on tons of devices, you know, how to actually build that incredible content. And of course, our team at Activision was was hyper focused on how to make the meta and the free to play aspects work for a global audience. So there, but I mean, it was a, a ton of collaboration on all parts. I mean, the, there was no, no part where we weren't sort of joined at the hip. I, I think Chris and I have both been a part of relationships before where, there's a clear developer, there's a clear publisher, there are two different company names. Sometimes there's a licensor in there and everyone understands the role and it's and it's very siloed. It's like you can imagine a workflow where you're done with one, you send it off to other company too, and it could be an anonymous person that you send it off to. And I don't think you make great games that way. I think it's really too difficult. So the mind shift that we were able to bring about was one in which you know you weren't at Activision, you weren't at Tencent, you were on the COD M team. That's what you did. And there were certain parts of the team that you were doing and sometimes it was all within Activision, sometimes it was mostly Tencent other times there was this collaboration but that's what that's how you had to think to be successful so we really tried to bring that about one thing that you guys mentioned was the the initial idea or the initial thinking was around this pay for power how did you have the uh, the courage to go towards a very non-heavily monetizing model for for this game for, for this audience you know for our for the shooter players like there's really you don't really have any other choice right because they they want a fair free-to-play experience where the, there's a level playing field for everyone. And so I think you know, it kind of starts with what the players, and then from there, you know, then, then you figure out, okay, so if, if that's kind of like, what are the stakes in the ground? One of the stakes in the ground has to be fair, has to be, you know, free-to-play for everyone. And of course, our ambition was to reach the largest audience we can, which is another reason why, you know, going with the, that free-to-play approach is super important. So I think it kind of starts there, and then like 
the gameplay and everything else, the the way the meta works and the way the cosmetic chase works just takes a ton of iteration. I mean, there's so many different versions of that cycle that I think we all kind of work through to, to arrive at what you see in Call of Duty Mobile now. You really guys nailed the, the core gameplay because I remember it was winter, so it's really dark up here in, in the north. And I remember just parking my car in the evening and I didn't go home, but I stayed in the car and I had my, my phone connected with the uh, with a surround system of a car inside and we're just playing Call of Duty through that because it gave the, uh, the nice 5v5 example. So I'm just out there until the, uh, until the car, you know, shuts down all the, uh, all the electricity. So the core game is, is fantastic and, and yeah, makes sense that you spent so much time on it. But you mentioned the business model, you know, sort of a light monetization, which in the end, leads to having a big audience. So according to Sensor Tower, you reach 135 million installs in the uh, in the first month. And this is, of course, excluding China, where the game was launched later. This has to be biggest, if, if not one of the biggest mobile launches ever. What makes this even more impressive is that the audience is very hardcore, very male-driven. So you're, in a way, kind of excluding half of the player base when you're launching this type of game. My questions are, like, how do you achieve this? And what gave you the confidence to to pull the trigger on such a giant launch campaign when the game came out? So I think now we're up to about 500 million downloads, which, which you know, having worked in games for a while is crazy and it feels awesome. And I'm so excited every time I say that. It just, it's so cool. And I guess if we deconstruct how we got there, I think it's a mix of about four things. You know, great, great brand, great game marketing strategy made a lot of sense and was pretty multifaceted and above all else the execution against these things so to kind of start with the first two when i joined activision i knew cod was big and i and only since working here i realized kind of how big it is historically i think it's sold about 400 million units so it's actually not that which is what, what i thought too it's not this very hardcore male focused IP, it's super mass market, huge. You know, it's really just a cultural phenomenon. And obviously the first time you're able to bring that onto mobile, it has a big impact because, you know, a lot of people have had memories of this game in the past. So that was the first one. Just the brand is amazing. You know, all the people who built caught into what it is, kudos to them really. On the second side for the game, we talked about this a little bit, but just, you know, we obsessed over making sure the quality of the game, the quality of the onboarding, everything was what it should be. You know, I think I think when you have one of these AAA IPs, and especially when it isn't, when, when the IP you're making a mobile game out of is really similar to what that IP is like on other platforms, you have to obsess over the quality. So we we're really happy we took the time needed to to make sure that onboarding experience was good, even things like the first time user experience. So when people came in who weren't shooter fans, they had an ability to kind of play, to learn the controls, to understand this new form factor that, that came about through mobile. So I'll just stop on those first two, but I mean, those were immensely important. And if you think about like any free to play games of service launch, like having that soft launch period, you know, where you really fine tune things and just make sure all systems, that was super important. And I think that was, you know, we were having some of the best time in our life, I think, at that point to see the, the innate interest, but then, you know, fine tuning, working out the kinks, watching the funnel kind of flow even better over the course of those uh, several months in, in preparation for a global launch. So I think having that period, which, you know, most free-to-play services take that time, but we, we took that time and then that really gave us confidence to go big 
when when it was time to 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 go wide and i don't i don't know if we would have had the same degree of confidence had we not had several months to kind of watch it perform and kind of you know nurture it a bit before going wide I do have to say the uh, the soft launch period was relatively short compared to other games that are going through soft launch. Like we see, you know, other big publishers spending up to two years in soft launch before launching even some of their big IPs. So my question kind of around there is, was it easy to test a game with such a big IP in soft launch? Because probably everybody is watching it. Like how quickly do you have to make the decision before you start burning your golden cohorts? Secondly, how do you know you have enough content before you go wide before you you launch globally with such a heavy content treadmill of cosmetics and thirdly how did you measure the marketability of the game like was that just clear that the ipms were off the hook and you were that was basically the first thing that that you verified and then the second ones were just you know the content part we we knew we had something that was going to take off you know as soon as we started our tech launch and early on i mean it was just the the amount of interest was off the charts and and we had other uh ways to kind of measure that throughout soft launch that was just continuing to build so that kind of led to that sense of like this we have to get this right (laughs) because you know if you if you have something with that much interest and and some i mean i've certainly worked on games where you had this giant surge of players and you know stuff it wasn't ready and you lose them all and and then you're you're kind of starting all over again so we didn't want to have to go through that start all over again so there's there's kind of that piece to it and I mean, on the content side, I mean, I think we'll talk later on about kind of what happened in, in 2020, but I've never talked to anybody who's launched one of these types of games that felt like they had enough content at launch. And, <laughs> totally. And, I mean, you just, you know, you, at the end of the day, if you have something people want, then you'll never have enough content for them. So I think we, we kind of probably fall into that category too. And, and you also are learning what people really care about as you go. And so as time goes on, you can better laser beam focus your content strategy on the, on the types of content that players really actually care about versus what you thought, you know, before soft launch started. So there's this awakening that happens during soft launch where you see what, but I mean, those, that was kind of walking backwards. And then I forget your first part of your question, but. Oh, that's pretty much it. It was, uh, I was just asking like, how come you went so quickly through the soft, like was there a, was there a pressure because you felt that you were, you didn't want to tap too much to the player base or like, it, it was a relatively short time. Well, we, we did have some good fortune. I mean, no question about it. There's a bit of good fortune and a lot of art and science. Sorry, Matt, go ahead. No, 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 no. I, I think you nailed it. I, th- I, you know, I think like Chris said before, we've been. I think both he and I, and you know, others in the team have been a part of launches where you know it pops and drops, and and you're and there there go multiple years of your life. It's that's that's how fast it goes. So, I think I think when you have that scar tissue, you you try to make sure that you know, you're looking at the numbers and if they're positive, you look at the numbers again and then you get second things to back them up and third things to back them up. So the soft launch was quick, not because we wanted it to be quick. It's because we passed, you know, whatever gates we had set for ourselves that just gave us confidence that when we're ready to launch, it wasn't going to be one of those things that surprised us. It was going to be something new. After after the launch, nevertheless, in 2020, the, the game started declining. So at February of 2020, that was kind of like the uh, the lowest point where the game was about 15 million in net revenue, which was less than half compared to the launch month before. What happened there, and how did you how do you, how were you able to bounce back? Because January 2021, so this year was actually the highest grossing month, beating even the launch month by a healthy margin. 
So can you talk about the reasons that led to the initial decline and how were you able to successfully turn around and not only successfully turn around, but actually surpass the incredible launch month? Yeah, sure. So I'll take a first pass at this one. You know, it's going to sound a little asinine, but for us, it was giving players more of what they wanted and phasing out content that wasn't compelling. The volume of content that we produce for this game is is absurd. And it's not just kind of cosmetic content, whether it's character skins or weapon skins, you know, it's new maps, it's new modes, it's changes to our battle royale, whole new event structures, and then all the stuff that actually actually feeds that. And, you know, in the period between when we launched and then when things really started to turn around, there was a, there was a deep level of analysis around what are people actually liking and what are they not liking? Those insights came together. And one of the main things we did was just make our seasons matter more. You know, seasons for us are they're, they're kind of the heartbeat of the game and they wrap together a bunch of the things that, you know, we think are important that our users also really care about, you know, whether that's, you know, fresh new content or marketing that makes people aware of what's going on or certain web ops structures just gives things a holistic wrapper. And, you know, we, we, we increase the frequency of seasons from about one every eight weeks to one every four weeks, and then really double down on the theming of what those seasons were from you know, things that probably had a loose theme to ones that had a really, really strong theme, you know, and as, as, as part of that, when we think of like the COD DNA and what is the chase that people care about leveling up weapons is really fun. You know, it's, it's, it's one of the things that's, that's really fun. I know you're making a shooter game as well. And, you know, that's part of the pleasure. If you think about the RPG aspect of, of shooter games, well, those are the heroes, you know, so we we're also able to add some deeper systems around weapon leveling up that we borrowed from, Modern Warfare, the kind of newest at that point installation of the, the kind of COD mainline franchise. And a lot of those things came together around the same time, those kind of new gunsmith system just for that deep end, that deeper weapon customization kind of upgrade layer. And then seasons that just, that just mattered more. And I think those two things combined really turned things around. I would just add that I think the, the team's kind of just willpower to just defeat this challenge, right? Because as you said, in, in February, things were not where, where we wanted it to be. And just the ability to kind of dig into that problem space, figure out where the opportunities are, create solutions, drive those into the game, double the cadence of the seasons. I mean, it was amazing to, to see. And the, the experience that that team kind of created there, we, we feel like it was just kind of like magic. And... You know we're you know, we're growing this game now. I mean the the the, the game is bigger now, as, as you said at the beginning of this year, than it was you know a year after it was right after a year prior to it was right right after launch. And we're going to continue to grow it. And and so this this is like this this place where we're we're building the next generation of what shooter live services means on mobile. And we're you know we're hiring a bunch of people right now. We're continuing to invest in making it. You know, more fun for the players, more fun for the people working on it, and and also you know parlay that into our our future roadmap of of both for CODM and for other other things that we're going to be following CODM up with in in the market later. So um, so just kind of like I haven't been around a long time and been watching how the team uh, pulled together through this kind of like adversity period and then just literally turned the game around. I mean, doubled performance at the top top line and and other hard to move KPIs 
watching those things just grind, grind, grind in the right direction. Not every single time, right? Sometimes you try something, but just more times than not, it was it was working and has now like got this head of steam that's just awesome. It's so much fun to watch every season launch and every you know every new you know campaign because it just it continues to grow. Yeah, and you guys try big things. Like I remember, I think it was the first update was the zombie one where it was like, how would I describe it? A looter shooter. Like it was a totally different type of a game mode, a, a cooperative looter shooter. And that didn't work. And then you did something else. Like these are, it's almost like a game inside a game that you try out. <laughs> so, so definitely a lot of work that is going in there. What I'm very interested in is how do you know to like, how do you know when you're making something that players actually want it? Like what kind of tools you're using? I'll give an example. Uh, last Action Heroes update. <laughs> it was so great because me and my friends, like we got back to Call of Duty. We've been playing it, not that we were out, we were playing it casually once in a while. But then once you, you know, start seeing Rambo and, and John McClane and everything, you kind of jump back. Like, how do you know how to tap in to your core audience? Like, where do you get these insights? Or is it just trying a lot of things? Yeah, it's, there's kind of four sources for inspiration, I'd say. We are more active with our community than any other game I've ever been a part of. You know, about twice a week we're writing on Reddit, and it's not just this kind of like writing and then we never read the responses. There's frequent responses and then often one-on-one -on -one dialogue, either on Reddit or somewhere else, just understand um, how people are actually feeling. And it usually isn't a place we go to... to plan a new feature, but it's where we go to understand the pain points and the sources of anger and just really what isn't working. That's kind of number one for us. For the other the other three, we'll obviously look in the market to understand, you know, are there, are there cool things that are working for other games that we could try in ours? The third is, you know, in as much as we're a Call of Duty game, there's a ton of innovation that's always happening on the console and PC games. So sometimes if you take the example of, you know, some of the new modes or some of the new mechanics, We'll, we'll, we'll try to have a, have a sense whether, you know, that in our game could be similarly effective if we notice that there's some positive reception. And then finally, you know, it's just looking into the data, which often, you know, doesn't help you plan something new, but it lets you know whether the things you're building are having the desired impact on a certain behavioral loop or player segment that you're hoping it would. So you, you mentioned four things, community, benchmarking from mobile, benchmarking from console and PC, data. How much do you use gut feeling? Because I assume that a lot of people working on this game have been working on Call of Duty for a decade, maybe two. There's probably a lot of hunch, a lot of gut feeling that they've developed over time. Like how much does that play a role or? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, th I, th I think that should have been the fifth one mentioned there. Whether you've been making the games or just playing shooters forever, they're a different type of game. They really are. And if you haven't been playing it for years, I don't think you have the sense, in particular for things more in the core game, of what is fun and why is it fun. Or for things like the cosmetics or the emotes. I mean, if you just take emotes for a second, you have to know what makes you think that something's funny. And sometimes it isn't, you know, it's what you do at a person. It's not what you do for yourself. You know, there's, there's a certain bit of taunting that's important. So I, so I think you have to you have to have that depth. And and you can see that with, with the small updates that based on them, how they've been implemented in the game, don't feel like they move the KPIs. Like, for example, in the Battle Royale map, like you've added the feature that shows where every kill has been made during like it tells a story after the match that was added later that is definitely something that i was asking about because that type of thing comes from a gut feeling there's no data that i would show you the at the end please please do this like this will move the kpis but it's like a nice addition that i feel is done by somebody just playing this game and coming up with cool ideas how to delight the players 
spot on. Yeah, I could not agree more. I could not agree more, especially for core game. Again, that's the place where no data is going to tell you. It just has to feel a certain way. Yeah, exactly. Like from the end screen, like there's no data that somebody's looking at the end screen and how often players would play again. Like there's, there's no reason to do that other than to, you know, improve the experience. And talking about the experience, you know, Activision is known for the player first mentality. And I, I believe like pretty much every single company from the Raya to, to Zynga and, and even my own startup, we focus on, on player first as a key value. What, what I wanted to ask is how is Activision's player first mentality materialized in everyday work? Yeah, well, I guess every company has their, you know, their company values and, and sometimes they evolve and change. But I mean, for, for Activision the entire time I've, I've been part of it, the company, player first is like a essential value that gets you know drilled into a whole ecosystem of working here day in and day out so it starts with at the top and people like rob kostich who's the president of activision you know talks about player first all the time and we could be in a content review or having a business meeting and it just always comes up of like what will players want so i think it it starts from the top and then i think because you've got a, a team that is also hyper you know, passionate about making a quality game, you know, they're channeling the players. I mean, most of them are like totally rabid players. So, you know, the, you get it from both directions, right? Like, you know, you are a player. So, you know, doing your day-to-day -day work, you think like a player and then you're constantly being told like, like what does the player want? What, you know, how will players react to this? So, so I think that, that's how it gets ingrained into the culture. And then I think Matt talked about some of this already, but like we, we talk to the community all the time. I mean, that, those are those are a lot more players than, than we will ever be. You know, we've, we've got a big team, but <laughs> there's a lot more players out there than there are us. And so I think staying in touch with the community is huge. We do that a bunch of different ways. I mean, it's, you know, the dialogue that happens. There's also other ways, you know, we talk to the community through qualitative research all the time as well, just to kind of understand like, how, how are they feeling this month versus that last month? We we think we moved the needle on something. Did they notice? You know, like this sort of thing where, where we can kind of sanity check things. So that's kind of trying to think from a player first mentality. The design of the game, you know, we talked about earlier, the free to play nature of it, making sure that, you know, the functional items all have a grind. They're not gated by monetization. Thinking about the the modes of play that are essential to the players. They're all, you know, freely accessible. Even the cosmetics are, are there's lots and lots of grindable cosmetics in the game. So they, all of these are just ways we want to make sure the players feel like, you know, we're, we're thinking about them first. And as long as we're servicing the players, then the success will come after that. You know, the success will come natural. But it, it starts from the top. And I think we we try to hire people who are as passionate about it as you know our president is and as Matt and the rest of the team you know are. Like you're in good company if you're if you care about what the players think. And this is it's a business, but it's also it's a game first and foremost, and it's got to be fun and it has to be something players want to come back to every day. So I ask this because I've always had this challenge because pretty much every company that I work for, is, of course, was was very much player focused. And nevertheless, it was it was hard to institute that. What I'm basically asking is like, how much do you guys play at work? You know, your own game or other shooter games? Because what I've personally noticed is you get very busy, you know, with, with meetings and and analyzing the data and and trying to do all kind of other important things than actually playing games. And then what we started instituting is like we have to play our game, but we also have to play competitors games and through that you're becoming a player because you you know you play these type of games and that is then you know materialized as a player first approach so kind of going back 
I'm asking you guys, like, do you play a lot at work uh, of your own game? And um, I'm also asking because I remember reading an old article about a Call of Duty studio. I don't remember which one was it. Was it a Treyarch or Sledgehammer? And they were talking about how they felt as underdogs trying to make a better game, the battlefield. And they were constantly playing that and they were playing other games. And even when they surpassed it, they still wanted to feel like an underdog and were continuing to play their competitor's game and trying to improve their own game through that. A long-winded question, but how much do you guys play at work? Yeah, that's a great question. We play a ton. I mean, it's a short answer, but it's true. And I think to your point, you have to. It's not only your game or your competitors' games. I, I also think, honestly, playing the console PC game is super important. You have to understand what the brand means. You know, it's important that this is a mobile shooter. It's also important this is a COD game. I think you have to be able to wear both those hats. One of the unique things about COD Mobile is it encompasses content and players and maps from all the different franchises. And if you don't know what that stuff means, if you don't know who some of these characters are, then you're going to miss what's special about adding a certain character to the battle pass and a certain type of outfit and what that means and the, the lore that actually goes along with that. The one thing that is tricky, I think it's very easy to, to play test a lot when you're going up to launch. That's, that's what it's all about. You know, you're focusing on an aspect of the game. When you're live, I take your point that it can be difficult because are you playing the current live version? Are you playing one of the new beta builds for one of the upcoming features? Some competitor launched something. If you have a great way to be able to divvy out that time, I would love to, I would, I would, I would love to hear it. <laughs> the kind of thing that we've found some success with is we have certain parts of the team, especially the team that's closer to the live game, who are playing the live build all the time and all the the time. I think that's super important. And then people who are a little bit more forward oriented and kind of thinking about the upcoming releases, well, they're obsessing over the new builds. So it's almost a little bit of separation in which version of our particular game people are focusing on based on, you know, what their area of expertise is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely challenging. I, the, the only, the only thing that I've noticed to work is just putting a calendar invite for play sessions. And even yeah. though, even if there are 30 minutes, it just gets, you know, the team, not, not everybody can join them, but if they're every day and there's a couple of 30 minute sessions, then at least, you know, part of the team is always playing. And through that, you're kind of instituting that this is not something that you expect people to do at home because yes, everybody expect us to be gamers, but also people have families. And after a long day, they might be doing something else than playing a shooter game. But if, if, that's a, if that's a part of your day, like it's, it's truly expected that you play them and then you get hooked and then you end up playing at home. So that's how it kind of works. I mean, walking around the office back when we were all in the office, I mean, you're constantly like bumping into someone who's like looking down at their phone playing, you know? So if, you're, if you stroll into the COD mobile area, there's always people walking around playing or leaning against the wall playing or whatever in between their next meeting. And so that you see it more, I think, when we're all physically together, when it's remote, it requires more coordination because you don't have like, like spontaneous, oh, there's, there's three people playing right now, pointing at the screen, looking at some UI together or whatever. So, you know, we'll eventually get back to that world but for now you know we have to schedule i that, that actually brings me again one of the call of duty mobile memories because in my previous studio we used to hook it up to a big screen tv in, in, the, in the studio room and we were playing call of duty mobile on that big screen and people were stopping and they were looking if if we have a console I'm like where'd you get a console it's like no this is a mobile game and then somebody was always always streaming and and it was um yeah, like we would play in a team and one person would be streaming and everybody's watching that. And when they die, they have to give the, uh, the core to another person if they lost and so forth. So it's actually a fun game to play together. I do have to say that. 
Yeah, when we were the year before, well, the year we eventually went live, we were just getting ready for uh, a soft launch, but we had the game up on a 70-inch screen, and I remember it was so funny because it looked like a console game up there, and we were, like, playing and demoing, and we'd have a whole room of people playing together. At that point, we were just about to enter soft launch, and it it looked amazing up on that big screen. So it's it's wild how far things have come in such a short amount of time. Yeah, yeah, I, I 100% agree. Uh, so let's talk about the future then. What is the future for Activision Mobile? Like you have amazing IPs and with these IPs, the uh, the whole IDFA deprecation, the changes in the uh, performance marketing, they seem to be almost as an opportunity for Activision rather than a threat because you you haven't been you know so programmatic in the user acquisition as, as the competitors. There's clear division as well. Like you have King who is very much focused on casual games uh, Blizzard is is pushing its way in, in you know the RPGs, the MMOs, cross-platform with games like Hearthstone. What I'm interested in is like, are you going to focus on internal development? Are you still going to do co-develop? What can we expect from Activision in not maybe five years, but let's say two to three? Yeah. So right now we're hyper focused on both you know growing Call of Duty Mobile and internal development. We you know we we think we can take things to the next generational leap and are you know building out talent both around the Call of Duty mobile team in proximity to, to that group. B Knox, who's in up in Quebec City, our Shanghai studio. So we have multiple locations around Activision for internal development focused on what we can do to take our mobile ambitions to the next level. And we're just hyper-focused on that right now. So we're, we're excited by you know what's happening and live in the market today and what we can still do with what we've we've already got out there but we're also equally excited about you know what can come next and we have uh, a lot of uh, exciting things happening there too and matt you do want to say anything about call of duty mobiles pipeline for for the uh, for the upcoming year yeah sure yeah so well, let's see what can we say we like to we like to make sure that things are really baked before we're talking about them so <laughs> the only thing to just double down on what chris is saying is you know both he and i have worked in games again for for for, for a number of years across a number of genres and uh, when you start working in shooters or when you work in these genres that you yourself as a person actually play which for me shooters is absolutely that there's nothing like it and i know from you you know you told a little bit about your own personal story that's clearly core to you too so i just say the roles we have here are different in the market and the games are awesome they're truly truly awesome so you know if people are looking for that next thing or they're just curious to understand kind of what we have cooking whether it's on CODM or some of the other some of the other things that chris is talking about you should reach out to one of us there's a lot of there's a lot of cool stuff you know stuff we've talked about and stuff we haven't talked about so i just encourage people to to reach out what would be so i'm going to link the uh, in the description below there's going to be links of course to to your linkedin pages but what would be uh a good place for people to go to check out careers at, at Activision if they want to work on more of a core type of games. They can look at on LinkedIn or careers at Activision either either way, and we'll we'll post on our uh, LinkedIn's as well some of those positions that we're looking for internally. Awesome. All right, so everybody be on the lookout. I'll put put the uh, links in the description and and check out all the cool positions coming in Activision Mobile. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Uh, this was a little bit of a different type of a podcast because I'm such a fan of the game, uh, as you probably heard. <laughs> Normally, I'm very much more objective, but it's an awesome game, and I look forward to playing it for, for the next about eight years to come. I think it's a, probably for 10 years we'll be playing that. So <laughs> so thank you thank you very much for... Thanks so much for your time. And, and for, the, uh, for the interview. Thanks for having us.
Mm-hmm. <laughs>